0: noticing a slight change in quality. I'm house-sitting for Christmas this year and we'll return to Spacious Popcorn Chucky Studios next week. Until then, uh, we have a massive holiday special planned for you. Not only do we have, what, six, seven reviews from theaters, but we're also going to be talking about five Christmas movies. Uh, Same format I did for the Halloween special. Two I've seen, two I haven't seen, two old, two new, and plus a We're going to tie back into The Nightmare Before Christmas and see how it does as a Christmas movie. As for the review portion, we're going to be talking about both the original Mary Poppins plus its new sequel, uh, Mary Poppins Returns. We're going to be talking about the latest DCEU movie, Aquaman, the new Transformers movie, Bumblebee, the latest Jennifer Lopez, I don't know, what would you call it? It's not really a rom-com. There's not really a lot of romance in it, but uh, her new movie, Second Act. Uh, welcome to Marwin, as well as uh, Peter Jackson's latest directorial movie. Uh, after he kind of produced *Mortal Engines*, *They Shall Not Grow Old*, where he our, we kind of revitalized all this archival footage from World War One. So, without further ado, uh, let's get this started. It's a good thing you come along when you did, Mary Poppins. How'd you do that? Do what? So you've been off filling the children's heads with stuff and nonsense. You've forgotten what it's like to be a child. Everything is possible even the impossible. I had seen Mary Poppins before, but it was never one of my go-to Disney movies. I do know that it's, you know, iconic in terms of Disney. It's so iconic that they made a making of that was Disney the Disney the making of the movie. Um, so yeah, not only is it a Disney fied version of P. L. Travers' books, but the movie about the making of the movie was very you know, cleaned up and Disney-fied as well, wholesome and whatnot, because I doubt it was that that nice and sweet. But they wanted to stay on brand with the making of one of their most Disney movies. Um, but upon rewatch, uh, some of the main things I picked up were just how amazingly... Uh, just wonderful Julie Andrews was and still is, you know, it's sad that her, her, she developed vocal nodes recently and we lost that amazing singing voice, but she's still just a treasure to the human race. Um, and really Dick Van Dyke is, is good. Like he's a great physical actor. He's a great singer, but the, just he never had the accent. And that's kind of the biggest problem. Although you could not, you can't really tell that Tim is the old man um, banker, uh, if you, if unless you know what you're looking for, uh, there's some weird stuff there, like how the women's suffrage movement doesn't really amount to anything. It's just kind of there in the background, probably as like a time stamp of like, oh, here's where we are. We're talking about women's suffrage. Um, there's a, the weird thing about the Admiral firing a, a functioning cannon in his neighborhood. Like that can, like it was 1910's London. It was Edwardian London that loose with its regulations. Like, they allowed a a formal uh, admiral to launch cannon, even if it was blanks. Like, seriously, like, how much damage is he doing on on an hourly basis, mind you? Uh, And, of course, like, the kids don't have the best voices. Some of the effects the blue screen doesn't really hold up. But, ultimately, um, yeah, I mean, this movie is just iconic. Like, the, the animated sequence is one of the best from Disney, the the use the you, some of the mix can be a bit off, but for the most part, it the mix between um, 2D and 3D and live action is pretty good. But because at that point he's he'd done it so much, uh, like he was doing that back in like the 20s and 30s with the little Alice shorts he did. Also, the the Fox and the Fox Hunt bit they did was Irish for some reason, and I don't know if that was a commentary and like. The British subjugation of, of Ireland, or something—I I don't know—it felt really weird and out of place. But then you followed up with things like the Edwin sequence as Uncle Albert, who was which was great. Um, Edwin is just a—it's just a treasure. Uh, alt- and ultimately, it comes down to uh, the ki- you know the kids having to learn respect for the how hard their father works, which means this is one of the most iconic movies. To feature the, dad works too hard, he doesn't really love us, and then having to realize, oh no, dad works hard because he loves us, storylines that have become so embroiled within uh, children's movies and and stuff. Uh, but ultimately, yeah, Mary Poppins is still just as iconic now as it was when it came out, so if you haven't already, yeah, go check it out. As for the sequel, I'd say... You know it's not it's as far as sequels this far after the fact go, I doubt you'd get anything better like this is captures so much of that initial whimsy and love and just fantasy of that original uh movie uh It was interesting. I looked into it again, and it turns out Julie Andrews denied any sort of even a cameo appearance. Just because uh, when Rob, Rob Marshall, who had directed her on stage in Victor and Victoria, uh, said, "Oh, I'm looking at Emily Blunt," she's like, "Oh my God, I love her. I'm leave me out. I want her to take center stage. I don't want to detract from her in the in the slightest." And Emily Blunt is is part of the reason to see this movie. She's not doing a Julie Andrews impression. She's kind of, she's doing, I mean, she's doing the whole prim proper nanny character, but she's not afraid to get, like, much like Julie Andrews as Mary Poppins, she's not afraid to have fun. Like, the whole, the best number in the whole movie is where, uh, is, is much like in the original movie, the animated sequence. And here they return to 2D animation, which is... One, yes, thank you. Don't try to CGify the fantasy element of Mary Poppins. Thank you for returning to 2D, if nothing if for nothing else, then for this. Um But yeah, the whole sequence there, uh where they're talking about do- where it's like an almost vaudevillian uh number between her, lin Manuel, Miranda, and a bunch of 2D animated animals, is is the best number of the movie. And she's doing like a whole like routine, like like brassy voice and whatnot. And then next thing you know, she returns and she's the prim and proper Mary Poppins. <laughs> it's 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 really good, and uh, Lin Manuel Miranda's great. Much like Dick Van Dyke, he's not nailing the accent, but he's not as cloy. Where Dick Van Dyke is like this, Lin Manuel's more of like putting on an affectation rather than a full on accent. So he's, he's got a little bit of the, he's got a little bit of the, you know, the the taste of the accent, but he's not doing a full, he's not trying to go full in on the accent. And of course, with, what, 50 years of uh, improvement in technology, we've got a much cleaner uh, 2D, 2D animation, live action mix. So it looks even better. All the effects here look way better. I mean, the water effects... You can kind of like this, is came out the same weekend as Aquaman, so the, they put more effort into de- uh, looking like they're underwater in Aquaman than they did here. But that's that goes without saying. Um, as for uh, yeah, as for everything else, like the child actor's a little bit better, they're not great, but they're better than the kids were in the original Mary Poppins. And uh, I'll say this Ben Wishaw is pretty good as their dad. Uh, And Emily Mortimer is sadly wasted. She's great, but all they really made her be was a love interest for Lin Manuel Miranda's character, which is because like they initially tried to have her like her mom in the first movie be an activist, where the mom was working for women's suffrage. Uh, Emily Mortimer's um, Julie, I think, uh, was was uh, working for workers' rights, and that could have been an amazing like sub. Subset where it's like she or she actually or she ultimately helps to organize the labor union, a labor union with Lynn manuel Miranda and the other, uh, you know, various laborers around town. But that doesn't go anywhere. It's just kind of there. And she's mostly there to kind of act off of Ben Wishaw and, and be like, hey, look, we're the Banks kids, but we're all grown up. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, we got to get her. We got to get her laid. Like, Seriously, it's like, nah, we got to get her. It's like they take time out to point out that we need to get her laid with Lin Manuel Miranda, which I'm not saying I'm not against that, but at the same time, like, that's that, like, we're that's gonna be your focus for her character. You can't do better than that, like, seriously. Uh, also, the songs are not as memorable. I, I swore that it was gonna be Lin Manuel Miranda writing the songs, which would have been amazing, but I don't know. Who the uh, songwriters are For this one I didn't recognize their names at all Mark Shaman and Wait Angela Lansbury is the songwriter? Wait a minute oh, I, can't... I, I know I recognize Mark Shaman's name Music Yeah Mark Shaman He's seen... I don't know why they. Maybe it's because she improvised some stuff That they gave her um, uh, songwriter credit uh, Mark Shaman is um, Known for Broadway Oh he adapted Hairspray so he's not you know he's not a terrible songwriter. Um let me see filmography, television, theater, uh discography. Um I mean he's got plenty of credits to his name, but I don't know um I don't recognize specifically anything out of like he's composed um Made a post on South Park, bigger, longer, and uncut, and Team America. So this guy was working with Trey, Trey, and Matt, apparently. Um, Georgia the Jungle, uh, First Wives Club, bunch of stuff for um, for film. Uh, Saturday Night Live, uh, he helped on and worked a lot with Billy Crystal. Um, wrote co-wrote parts of Mariah Carey's second Christmas album a second Christmas album uh, from 2010. So, I mean, this guy is is very much... Oh, and apparently he did a new Broadway... He did a new version of uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory for Broadway. And he wrote the music for Catch Me If You Can, the Broadway musical. So, I mean, this dude is a a very iconic figure. Like, if you're not going to get Lin-Manuel to write it, I mean, you could do worse with this guy. But at the same time... This dude is not the Sherman brothers. The Sherman brothers were just knew just how to make hook after hook after hook after hook. This guy, I mean, I don't like. I don't recognize a lot. Like, I don't except for hairspray. I don't really think of the Odd Couple. I don't know that one. Catch Me If You Can. I'm not familiar with that. I haven't heard of anything for the new bro- Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Uh, I'd have to check that out. Uh... He wrote, yeah, so The Odd Couple, Catch Me If You Can, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Um, I'm not really familiar with any of that. And then most of the other stuff is, like, interstitial, like, unless it's, I don't know if he, like, he's writing the songs, per se, or if he's just composing the score. But it's not, it's not his fault. You, it's hard to compete with the Sherman Brothers. So, no matter who you got, they were probably always going to come up uh Second, in the terms of the music So, he, but he does a good, you know It's not like he does a bad job or anything, like the songs Are good, they're just nowhere near As memorable as the Sherman Brothers, sadly Uh But overall, uh, I like the original More, uh, more About, more, even it's, it's like the original, uh, this is more About whimsy than logic This is a fantasy film for kids And as far as sequels To beloved Disney classics go, I Really, whenever they've tried to do a sequel to a beloved Disney film, especially during the Eisner era, it never worked as well. Uh, except for maybe Aladdin three. That's about it. But yeah, none of the uh, this has, <laughs> this really is probably the best Disney sequel after a few like after so long. Because I mean, when they do a direct sequel after the fact, uh, that's probably not as bad. Be- like Frozen two is not probably not gonna be, probably gonna be in the same line as Frozen one, but. As far as uh, really belated sequels go, I doubt you could probably do better than this. Disney or otherwise. You believe you'd be the one to unite our two worlds. Atlantis has always had a king. Now I need something more. But what could be greater than a king? A hero. So, since Mary Poppins came out on a Wednesday to beat out the crowd, we're going to be talking about the main releases from Friday. These are going to be. Uh, first up Aquaman and I'll say this Aquaman is right behind uh, Wonder Woman as the best of the DCEU as far as the ranking for the DCEU goes it honestly Aquaman and Wonder Woman are the only ones worth watching and then Suicide Squad Batman v Superman Man of Steel and Justice League are all terrible like in varying ways but they're just not good movies I mean you can enjoy them but they're not. Uh, but they're objectively bad movies, uh, in terms of writing, in terms of character, uh, cha- you know, characterization of these iconic of these of these people, and in terms of just basic filmmaking. A lot of times, it's just terrible stuff. Ultimately, not that I'm saying Marvel's that much better, but I mean, because I mean, even because I mean, Marvel's done plenty of stinkers too, you know, both from Marvel Studios and from. Other and from you know tying into like the Sony deals or through Fox, so it's not like they, it's not like Marvel's the be all end all either. But as far as the DCU goes, it's Wonder Woman and then Aquaman, and Aquaman's kind of above average. It's not amazing. There's parts of it are that, that are really good. For one thing, Jason Momoa is icon. Is, is 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 much like uh, Gal Gadot has done for Wonder Woman. Momoa has embraced this characterization of Aquaman as kind of a dude bro, as like a, almost like a pro wrestler kind of character, uh, where, uh, that's, that's interesting, the varying degrees of characterizations Aquaman has had, because they never, he's never been consistent, Batman's always the brooding emo kid, um, Superman's always the happy-go-lucky boy scout for the most part unless you write him terribly like Zack Snyder did. Or um what and Wonder Woman's kind of always similarly written as sort of the, you know, I stand up for the for for the underdog sort of, you know, good good person sort of thing. Aquaman's kind of had varying things. Sometimes he's kind of dorky, like in Super Friends. Uh, he was he got really badass after that, kind of uh, to kind of make up for all the dorkiness. And so uh, that was a whole sequence of the comics where he lost his hand and got a pirate hook. Um, in the Justice League cartoon, he's kind of like a you know takes no takes no crap sort of uh, tough guy. Uh, then then in a uh, Brave and the Bold, he was like, "Ha ha ha! hi, I'm a classic hero. He's like the sort of person Gaston was a lampshading of. And and in the recent New 52... I remember in the New 52 run, they kind of made him look like his traditional um, design, but he, he was more like... It was more meta. Like, everyone kind of thought, Hey, it's man, he's kind of a dick. He's kind of a loser. And then it's like, nah, I'm, I'm a bad... Nah, I'm a badass. And it's like, oh... Oh, how come? And then is everyone kind of realizing, oh, wait, Aquaman's kind of a badass. And now we've got this sort of pro-wrestler kind of, like, you know, dude bro. And it works, actually. Like, Momoa sells it. And that's the thing. Momoa's had some tough go of it outside of um, Game of Thrones. Like, once he once he left Game of Thrones, like, he tried to do uh, Conan, I believe, uh, in that Conan reboot. Uh, Conan the Barbarian, specifically. But, um... He never really had anything like else to his name, a character that he that people recognize him as, or a role that people were like, "Oh, that's who he is." Outside of um, from Game of Thrones, and so for him to not only be not only be able to have this sort of recognition to his, because he's a he's a solid dude for the most part. Although I hear on the on the behind the scenes that he's kind of a dick to Amber Heard. Uh, he pulled a full, speaking of Gaston, he pulled a full Gaston and like tore up her books that she was reading, uh, while she was in the harnesses during, between takes. And, uh, although that may have been exaggerated cause I was like a couple sources and then like that story was completely forgotten because the dude is just so affable and likable. And he's like, he's, he, he went to premieres to kind of. Showcases Maori heritage, which is great for him, and like his dad is maori and his dad is played by the act, maori actor who played Django fett in the prequels so this so i mean they've been, they've made Aquaman maori by by heritage in this new universe so which is that's a nice that's a nice touch um and it's great for him to showcase that his his own cultural heritage and history with that it's just eh, you know try not to be a dick that's all uh that said, um, yeah, Momoa is probably the main reason to see this movie. The effects are good for the most part. I mean, it's not, some of it is a bit overwhelming just because it's so beholden to, not beholden, but it's so reliant on the CGI that it kind of becomes overwhelming a bit. And um, as, as far as like he and Amber Heard go, Amber Heard has never been the best actress and her as Mira is Pretty unmemorable, except for a few scenes, and he and, and she and Momoa just don't have that much chemistry. They really don't. They didn't in Justice League for the few seconds they were together, and here they have like no chemistry at all. And that's kind of sad when that's the main when they're the main stars of the movie. Like Amber Heard can do like the the stunt work and the action parts fine, but she is. Not that great of an actress ultimately, like maybe in a better role. I think it's because it could have just like I had to come to terms with the fact that I was being a douchebag about Natalie Portman in Star Wars and Thor. I assumed it was her fault that she was she gave a bad performance when ultimately it came down to the writing. And I'll say the same for Amber Heard, it's probably not her fault that she comes off bad in the movie, it's probably ultimately down to the writing what did they write for mira to do and what did the director give mira to do as a character and ultimately just kind of second fiddle to aquaman i mean she gets to be badass a couple times but it's not like she she's never really stands out as a character and that probably comes down to the writing more so than the actress because the actress doesn't have much control over how the character is written that comes down to the writing and unfortunately, comic book movies have never been great about running female characters. What? No, not them. Anyway, um, besides them, like the other actors are either uh wooden or or boring or completely over the top like like everything is like it's it's people trying to be shakespearean but it's like high school shakespearean it's like it's like if your high school tried to pull on like hamlet and it's like oh uh, uh, oh that's precious oh you guys and like like i have a we have a high school here that's that is able to put on like actual like like off broad, I won't say full on Broadway because they're still a high school. But like off Broadway quality productions because the director is, is able to have it, has enough resources available to him, and the kids are that talented that they're like I've I've seen him do Town and Sweeney Todd, and both productions were actually good. You know, for is not just good for high school, but like actually solid productions. And that and like. But but he's like the standout. That's like I mean, essentially, his high school might as well be a performing arts high school with all the resources they get to get to their advantage. But imagine a your regular high school, the non performing arts, run of the mill public high school, tried to put on Hamlet, and every and like that's the kind of performances we're getting. Half most of the characters are wooden, and then every and then every couple, and then like the main characters. Are always trying to do it over the top Shakespearean. And they're just not good at it. I think besides Momoa the only really good actor in the movie. And the only good performance I we get. Is from Nicole Kidman. As his mom. And even her thing is like weird. And kind of has some weird plot holes uh, throughout it. Uh, but ultimately it's like she's the only other real standout in this movie. Uh, Like Patrick Wilson as Orm The Ocean Master is over the top hand fisted like he's trying to be Loki But he's not clearly not as good As Tom Hiddleston as Loki Between the writing and his own perfor- And what the director is having him do And then um, I will say the actor playing Bam- Black Manta is good For the most part but he also Is very over the top With his performance And uh, Dolph Lundgren is kind of Underutilized like he's just kind of there In the background as a supporting character as Mira's dad And then uh, uh Willem Dafoe Is sadly underutilized I feel like He's only there just enough to be like Hey Willem Dafoe's in this but he's not like Fun Willem Dafoe that you got in Like Spider-Man or anything like that Um He's just kind of there As the stoic vizier Character he doesn't really get to have that much Fun sadly Um So yeah uh, And of course the when they did the big suit reveal in in the trailer it looks silly in the posters it looks like it's a bad photoshop job in the final mo- in the final movie in like the final climactic action sequence it's actually pretty good it's practically pretty good it looks all right it looks way better than it has any right to be but yeah it's it's pretty bad design uh for the most part but it's not terrible ultimately um so yeah, it, overall Aquaman isn't as good as Wonder Woman, uh, it, but it's still hey, it's a good sign from DC. And with Shazam coming out next year, I, I, it looks like DC's kind of on the ups. It looks like they finally kind of are kind of getting the the hang of this sort of thing. So we'll see about the, we'll see about Shazam and what how they follow it up. I think like Wonder Woman eighty nine eighty eight is going to be the year after. So we should be getting some good things from DC for a change, which is nice. <laughs> calling an army i've seen firsthand these things really are bumblebee there is only one way to end this war you must protect earth and its people take it down my back B. how we stop them. You've got me. And I'm not going anywhere. God, I'm so screwed. Speaking of good movies for a change, let's talk about Bumblebee. Bumblebee. Bumblebee, Bumblebee. I'm trying to do my best, Peter Cullen. <laughs> um, yeah, let's talk about Bumblebee uh, and how it's a good Transformers movie for a change. Isn't that great? Like, there's actual character design, and you can tell the Transformers apart. And they're and the human characters aren't annoying or obnoxious as all hell. Like, they're not great. They're still very. It's still very like that's a thing. The writing for this movie. Is done as if it were like a little kids movie it's like a little bit above uh, you know like a one of the lower tier Disney mo- kind of writing movies or like, it's like, a, like it's almost like a Nickelodeon style movie so it's not like it's taken too seriously it's definitely got little kid logic stuff going on but for the most part it's really good like the effects work is great you can once again you can tell the characters apart for a change which is amazing Uh I will say John Cena's not terrible, but there are some things like it, outside of his like his performance is solid, but his character has some plot holes in it that never get really addressed between the beginning of the movie and uh, over the course of the rest of the events. It, like there's th- there's a thing that happens at the very beginning of the movie with him and that never gets brought up again, uh, which is really weird. You'd think it would come up. Um, but of course he's also the only one to be like, um, they just called themselves Decepticons. Like, are you guys like when when uh the uh two Decepticons come come down looking for Bumblebee and they can't make contact with the uh US Army. He's the only one who's who's really like, "Hey, um, how about we not trust the beings that called themselves Decepticons?" Uh uh but yeah aside from and of course the 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 little we see of cybertron looks looks interesting like once again even though it's a night scene and it's all a bunch of robots fighting on a gray planet that's all made of metal you can tell everything apart oh my god you can tell everything apart it's amazing it's like people put actual effort into making sure that you could tell the different robots apart or something and you got to we got we got the I mean sound not if you're a fan of Soundwave from the animated series, they bring back his original voice actor and they do showcase one of his cassettes, and it's fun, but it's it's not it's not a whole lot. It's it's more like a hey, hey, here's Soundwave, and there he goes. And but yeah, Cybertron looks great. Optimus is much more in character. Uh I will say though it's hard to tell if this is straight in like parts of it are trying to be in continuity with the Bay formers but part of it feels like they may be trying to do a new timeline new new thing and if they do I would much rather the latter than the former I would much rather this be the start of a new franchise without Michael with Michael Bay maybe producing and having actual people put in charge Who know what they're doing and can make good Transformers movies who actually give a damn about the property for a change. Uh, Because if we get more stuff like this in its own franchise, that would be amazing. But if this tries to tie into Michael Bay's version of the Transformers, number one, it, it looks entirely different. It's a terrible prequel if that's the case. And number two, why would you want to? I mean financially they they want to be like hey this is part of the michael the stuff that made us lots of money but aesthetically they they are almost not only aesthetically but there are massive continuity issues if they're trying to make this a prequel to michael bay's version of the transformers because i mean like they threw in a bit uh during the credits that definitely make this feel like they're trying to do a new thing rather than make this about michael bay because if that's the, and if that's the case yeah Michael Bay can go off do some other thing, ruin some other kid's property, maybe try ruin Voltron or Gobot or something, and then have people who actually give a damn about the transformers work do this for a change. uh so yeah, um, oh uh Haley Steinfeld is good. Uh she is much better as a leading character than any of the people in Michael Bay's Transformers. And I think as a as an amazing counterpoint to what Michael Bay did with Megan Fox in the first movie where she's like a mechanic, but every time she all her all the only time she's ever working on a car is when she can show off her, when Michael Bay can just like ogle her body. Here we get an actual sequence that does a close-up shot on Haley Steinfeld's torso, but all we see is a loose t-shirt. Like it's not like it's a sort of like anti-Michael Bay moment. Like she's getting like getting under the hood, trying to fix something with um, Bumblebee. But it's a close-up shot of her torso wearing a loose t-shirt. So it's like any, literally anybody. It could be a male body double for all we know, because it doesn't matter. Well, her body doesn't matter because it's about her fixing Bumblebee. Oh my God! It's somebody who knows how to write female characters for a change. What a what a what a concept, you know. Uh, her romance with uh in the movie, I I do like that they undercut it. They didn't force a romance into it. It's more like, hey, we, we had an amazing adventure. We're not in love or anything yet. We just need to take some time to actually get to know each other, which is a great sort of undercutting of what the usual trope of like, we went to this amazing adventure. And now we're madly in love. And it's like, whoa, hold on a second. That Let's take a step back. Get to know each other a little bit better, and then we can say whether or not we're in love or not. But yeah, uh, a fun fact: Angela Bassett is one of the Decepticons in this movie. Ne- didn't expect her to show up at, at, at this point. Um, and then, uh, if you're a fan of voice actors, there there a, bu- a bunch of them get like one line cameos in this as on Cybertron, like Gray Delisle, um, Gray Griffin. Now uh, I should say uh, voice of like like a good chunk of your childhood as a voice actress uh but uh, what was she she's on uh the new uh ra most recently uh, in various capacities but yeah Grey Griffin is RC in this and on Cybertron uh but she only gets a few lines but he has a nice it was a nice toss to uh, these classic voice actors to be like hey want to be in Transformers here you go and it's and it's a fun it's fun for the fans it's fun for their fans too to be like oh hey you're in a Transformers movie and, and you're not like horribly annoying or cl- or obnoxious it's fun and this this Transformers movie was fun and, it, and that's so nice for a change so more like this less Michael Bay please he can produce all he wants but leave put somebody else in the director's chair more Travis Knight less Michael Bay. I want you- gonna come clean right i can do this is that maya vargas these are my friends from norton warren we did some time in the peace corps together we save whales oh, Don't confuse this facebook thing with who you really are i really admire you kind of who i want to be when i grow up you were always good enough you're the only one that ever doubted it we're looking at a new Chinese distributor. Oh, yeah. The only employee we have who speaks Mandarin is me. I got an idea. Our cat's veterinarian speaks Mandarin. We would love to schedule a tour for you. But we have to wait for the deal to be closed. But you're the ta fei Oh, Ta Gan I like her. Oh, yeah got to mention I've been doing I I've, I've been neglecting this uh but uh, I I will mention it now Mary Poppins returns um is my pick of the week. That's the one if you're going to see any movie in theaters this week, go see Mary Poppins. And for Unpopped Colonel, my anti pick of the week, it's Second Act. And it's yeah, it's because this movie does nothing it has no reason for existing like that's the thing I don't expect every movie to be big budget tentpole blockbuster clearly if that movie was that it'd get boring so neither do I want everything to be Shakespearean drama no I mean sometimes you just want a, a, co- a light hearted heartfelt comedy you would also like that McCorm- that heartfelt comedy to have some effort put into it Because that's not what we get. We don't get... I mean, we get the idea of a lighthearted, heartfelt comedy uh, in second act. But it's so botched in its execution that it might as well not even exist. The premise here from the trailers is uh, that um, Jennifer Lopez is... Uh, kind of in a dead end job at a uh, at a, at, a, at like a at like a Save a Lot or uh, like a low budget of not even low budget like a, a knock a, like a lower brand Walmart like a cheaper Walmart because um, like some WalMarts make themselves at least look nice but like she is in essentially a Walmart and she was hoping to get a managerial position but was overlooked because she only has a GED. And so she laments to um, her friend and her son that uh, everybody has got these GDs like they're so much better than everybody else, and she just wishes she could prove to the world that you don't need the the the, the paper to prove that you're uh, just as smart or good as anybody else. And so the son commits fraud, not not true fraud. Like he's not trying to defraud the government or anything like that. So it's not illegal fraud. But he's misrepresenting her very identity because he makes up an entirely false identity so that she can get a job with a massive, uh, like it's Johnson and Johnson style um, cosmetics and other things developer. Main they focus mainly on the cosmetics side of things, and it, it's and so she gets this high end consulting position. And it's up to her to kind of prove herself now that she's in this position. But she's still got to prove that she's Jenny from the block for one line. Like, seriously. There's literally only one line thrown to the fact that uh, Leah Remini's like, don't forget where you came from. Don't let this new identity change who you are. And it's like, it she didn't. Like, that never came up. It, it ne- never comes up at any... It's not like she becomes, like, super posh. And annoying or anything like that it's not like she changes personalities now that she's rich no she just is the same she's literally the same person because Jennifer Lopez doesn't have that much range and and then of course I, I'll, you know what in case you do want to see this movie for yourself I'll put it in here spoiler alert spoiler alert spoiler alert Spoiler alert! That was your warning. We're going into spoiler territory. There, there be spoilers ahead. And the spoiler is that they omit from every one of the marketing uh, campaigns is the Vanessa Hutchins character that they show that they showcase is is Jennifer Lopez's daughter from when she was a teenager. Jennifer Lopez got pregnant as a teenager and had to give her daughter up for adoption. And it turns out Vanessa Hudgens, who is the vice president of one of the departments in this massive company, is the is the adopted daughter of the of the president of the company. And he essentially brought in Jennifer Lopez, partially to consult with the firm, but mainly to reunite her and her daughter. And so it becomes like this weird, like, oh, we're finally reunited, but oh no, I got here under false pretenses. What would she think of the real me? And it's it's, it's this weird other plot line that becomes the main focus of the movie. It becomes less about Jennifer Lopez proving as a, as a woman in her forties that she can still, you know, that she's got the experience and the worldliness and the and the knowledge to be just as good as some as some, you know. Douchebag prick who got in uh, Got into Harvard on a legacy You know entry and Graduated bottom of his class like She just shouldn't need the degree to prove Her self-worth and Then it stops being about that Because they want to they want Because the son who helped her forge This false identity is like well I don't need a degree to prove what I can do. I obviously have the skill set. Who cares if I have the paperwork? And she has to be like, oh, wait, no. We can't tell kids that they shouldn't go to college. We have to tell kids they need to go to college. But she got to where she was by lying about going to college. So what's, what is what is the main impetus? What are you trying to tell us, movie? Uh So between the weird, like, adoption reuniting storyline, you know, completely, completely, like, distracting the other, like, you know, proving yourself. Like, it stops being about her proving herself and becomes entirely about her reuniting with her daughter and trying to forge that thing. And then every so often, like, oh, yeah, the... Main plot that we advertised will come back into the thing, and like Larry Miller plays her former, uh, like the former head manager of the chain of the of the of the store chain that she used to work for, and he like pops up as like the sort of uh oh, what if she, what if she's found out, what if she's discovered because there's this douchebag uh, antagonist who's trying to prove that she's been lying this whole time. But his character never amounts to anything because by the time he finally has proof, she just comes clean. Like... What was the point of his character then? If he's not going to be the one to... like, Usually when it's the liar revealed stupid subplot, it's, us- it's usually somebody reveals the liar and it's usually the antagonist. So why did you make this antagonist who's trying to reveal the liar this whole time and then it's just be like, oh, his character meant nothing. Hooray. Nothing meant... Everything meant nothing. Nothing matters. Everyone's going to die in the heat death of the universe is inevitable. Nihilism. Sorry, uh, I got off track. Where were we? Oh yeah, crappy movie. Um, yeah, like it. This has the gems of a fully functioning movie. Like the ge- like little, like little specks of what could be a good movie in it. But nothing in. But ev- all those specks are kind of mismatched and mishandled, and have no idea. No one has any idea how to make them. Fun. Function together, and it becomes this weird sort of um like hodgepodge of a plot that that feels like somebody was trying to tell you a story like here's the thing I view movie storytelling as like so imagine movie the storytelling in a movie as though someone was sitting at a campfire and telling you this story they heard like it's the oral tradition a good movie story should have the oral tradition to it it's like um the princess bride where everything's being read to a kid and everything that happens in the movie is being read to somebody as a storybook and the book is actually pretty much like that too if you want more about that check out living in the stacks plug uh so i imagine movie storytelling it to be like oral traditional movie uh storytelling if you can pick, if you're if you're able to tell somebody this story Without them being like, well, wait, how did this happen? What, ha- what happened here? Where did this thing go? What, was, what did this have to do with anything? Then you've done a good job sto- telling your story. You've, you've made sure that the people that you're telling the story to have an understanding of the story and aren't asking too and aren't like left confused or angry or, or like not, you know not like or left mi- un- misunderstanding anything. Here, it's like the storyteller went off in this initial. Uh, thread of oh we're going to be talking about how a woman proves herself in the workplace you know she shows that she's just as good as these you know elitist snobs it's like some sort of you know workers uh come up in fantasy of like you know book street smarts just good book smarts sort of mentality that seems to be going around it's a very sort of class based idea the idea that oh the working class can is just as good as the upper class sort of thing and then it stops being about that because some, at some point the storyteller had the idea to oh make it all more make it about adoption and reconnecting with your lost child. And then everyone's like, well, wait, what? What was the plot of this movie? Is this about? Um, so this is about the the adoption now. Well, then what was the whole point about her proving herself and showing that people from the lower class are just as good as the? What, what was the point? What was the point? And then by the end, it's just like, ah, everything, everything's a happy ending. Yay, everybody's happy. And, like, she starts her own upstart business, and she's still working with the Larry Miller character for some reason. Because apparently she had a really smart idea, and Larry Miller was like, okay, you're not working for us technically, but we're going to work with your new company, because you had the good idea. And it's, it's... It, this movie has bare, the base level understanding of how anything works between the cosmetics industry and how startups work, how technology works. It's like oh, this technology. It's like it's like your grandpa is trying to under or like your mom. You're like your your aunt. You're like we. You're, you're like mom's sister is trying to ha, ha, trying to tell a story based on your your you talking with your friends about how technology works. You know, it's it's not good. This is really one of the laziest wor- most worthless movies i've ever had to see very rarely do i feel like i've had my time in, con- entirely wasted by a movie but here two hours of this i could have had a i could have had a nap for two hours and gotten more out of it than from watching this movie so yeah this is my unpopped kernel of the week skip this movie there's no reason for anybody to see it I have hope. And I have my town. And I have my friends. My country back. And I'll be okay. Anything is possible in Marwin. Bottoms up, girls. People need to see how special Marwin really is. To life, to love, to the women of Marwin. And were are not for second act. This would actually be my unpopped kernel of, of the week for entirely different reasons, actually. Whereas second act was entirely useless as a as a movie, as a story. Here, this is one, another one of those cases. This is this year's uh, uh, Professor Marston and the Wonder Woman for me. The, where they took somebody's actual life story that is compelling and is interesting and... They and they and they come and they completely ignore all that to make some fanciful, made up version of this person's life. This goes back to even like a beautiful mind. I feel like Ron Howard and Hollywood does this all of the time. They love taking artistic license, quote unquote, with people's life stories as though we can do better than their actual life. And that's the thing. Professor Marston and uh, this person, Mark Camp, led amazingly interesting lives that you could tell amazing movies with. And the people who made those two movies made really stupid versions of their lives and completely misrep... For the man who created Wonder Woman to be about truth being her superpower to completely fabricate his life story is inexcusable. And so for here... It's not as egregious because it it doesn't completely go against his the very notion of this man's life life's work. Like he wanted to work on a lie detector, and then he also wanted to, and then he also created a superhero whose main superpower was getting people to tell the truth. And then you lie about his life story, like what? What the hell, people? Uh, Here, Robert Zemeckis decided. Oh, he wants to make a movie about the fictional art installation that this that Mark Hogan camp did, but in order to do that he also it's like it's like how in order to make a Julia child movie uh biopic we had to do we had to include the blogger who who like tried to do all of her recipes and like that's the thing if you like Julie the Julia part of Julie and Julia fine no Julie it would be Julie because it's Julia child anyway if you like the blogger part of Julie and Julia fine but Julia Child is way more interesting than some blogger. I'm sorry. There I I do, I make podcasts in my spare time and I'm telling you, bloggers are nowhere is unless they're doing actual stuff in the real world, bloggers are nowhere near as interesting as Julia Child. You know? It's it, it's that's I hated that the fact that half of that movie was devoted to somebody who didn't matter. I'm sorry, I mean maybe she may maybe I like I get and I guess the only reason they did it is because they got the rights to the book, and so this was their backdoor way of doing a Julia Child biopic, and instead they had to deal with the 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 stay at home mom who screwed up trying to make Julia child's cooking because she sucks at it i got it I've got issues with Julia and Julia, but uh this movie is essentially has those kinds of it's essentially that sort of. Not, it's not that bad, because I think at least Julie and Julia followed the actual people's lives, even the Julie character. Like, I don't think they misrepresented her life at all. Here, Robert Zemeckis decides, you know what? I, I want to do crazy fantasy sequences with dolls, but, but he doesn't care about the actual artist behind the actual installation Marvin Call. Like, that's the thing. The actual Mark Hogan camp who was a, you know, who was a, he was actually a queer person um, in terms of, like, he's a cross-dresser and he's openly admitted to it. And it's part of the reason why he was attacked by these guys, not neo-Nazis, as it turns out. That was an addition by the movie. Yeah. If you, like, that's the thing. When you go into this movie blind, you, you'll think, oh, that was okay. And then when you look into the actual Mark Hogan camp, you realize, oh, no. Oh, this movie is trash because they fabricated so much of Mark Hogan camp's life that it might as well not even be called based on a true story. This is this should be dubbed inspired by with how much fiction is added to this man's life story. This is more fiction than fact. And as somebody who has an affinity for telling people's truth, like that's the thing. Creators, storytellers, uh, screenwriters, directors, producers, they'll all tell you the same thing. Sometimes you need to take artistic license. And in cases like, uh, what was a recent one? Um, hold on. I've completely forgotten some of the biopics that came out this year. Um, let me see. 2018 release schedule. Will this give us the whole year? Yeah, here we go. Uh let's go back to November cuz that's when a bunch of the the uh, true life stuff started coming out. Oh, here we go. Uh A Private War. Uh that one featured uh some amalgam characters. Oh, um another one, The Front Runner. Front Runner was a really good movie, but some of the characters were amalgams of others st- of other reporters at the time, so green book green book was another one that 's not quite as good, but it's, but it amalgamated a bunch of characters to kind of keep the story going and because you don 't want to because that 's the thing in storytelling and in filmmaking you, uh the mule another one based on a true that one was more inspired by i believe I think that was the term because they they he because Clint Eastwood wanted to tell his own story that was inspired by this guy 's life but not directly based on this guy 's life uh which is, I think, more appropriate for welcome to Marwin, but they apparently wanted to use the guy's actual name, so they they called it based on a true Story, but then they just made up whole swaths of this guy's life, like the fact that, you know, the, they, they made up love interests for his care, for his prim, for like and that's the other thing. They not only made up love interests, but by adding love interests to this movie, they made him exceptionally creepy. Look, that's the thing, Mark Mark camp is probably just you know a nice guy. You know he he you know, he was a he's a victim of a hate crime uh, because he admitted to cross dressing. He has an affinity for women's clothing, I believe specifically shoes. And he um, in, in in the aftermath of his uh, of his assault, he decided to uh, work through his pain through his art installation Marwin call and if you look at there's a there's a british documentary about him i believe called uh, marvin just Marwin call after the after the installation and if you look into that that was a couple of years ago which served as the impetus behind this movie getting made and i'm and when you hear this guy's actual life story it is super compelling and interesting and neat and it didn't need two, not only one but two competing love interests and All of these weird things, like the fact that he almost makes Marwen call out to be some sort of weird way to make out with the actual people he knows in his life. Like, he has these weird things of like, oh, here's this woman that's based on an actual woman I know who works at the hobby shop, and here she is running through the streets topless as a doll. And here's this nice lady who moved next door, and I'm making us make out. And I'm having us make out together. It's like super weird and creepy. And then there's a weird back to the future reference because Robert Zemeckis, we got to do back to the future. Hey, remember when I used to make good movies? Uh, just everything about this movie. It, when you don't, when you're, when you're blind going in completely unaware of the actual Mark Hogan camp and the actual city of Marvin call when, here, seeing this movie, uh, first hand you know as the as your first a- entry point into this if you're like that's kind of interesting but if but it's, it's just like weird like where there's so much focus on like how the doll sat at fantasy sequences are like clearly meta commentary and like we can't close our eyes like that's the thing there's a line about how i can't close my eyes i'm a doll but then there's a scene later where one of the dolls is clearly closing their eyes like Look, if if you're gonna have a fantasy universe, at least stick to the rules you made up. You're the director; you should do. You should know how to do these things. And then, like Diane Kruger is in here as this Belgian witch, Deja Thoris. Who I need to look it up. I forgot to look it up, but Deja Thoris. I know that name from somewhere. I think it's like in another fantasy or something. Where, where did Deja Thoris come from? Deja Thoris. That's where it came from. It came from Edgar Rice Burroughs. I knew I didn't heard that before. It was a that really bad John Carter movie uh, that they did. She's the Princess of Mars. Played by Lynn Collins, actually, who I who, who I actually got in contact with for a bit on Tumblr before Tumblr completely shut down. Nice nice woman. Uh really nice woman. Uh shout out to Lynn Collins. You're you're amazing. Uh at any rate, yeah, just the day, yeah, so so the the fictional antagonist in this fantasy universe is based on, is named after a character from Edgar Rice Burroughs, and nobody mentions it! Again, it's Edgar Rice Burroughs, so it's not, like, in the front of people's minds, but you'd think, like, one of the, like, Roberta, the, 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 the uh, the sort of dowdy, uh... Uh, worker at the hobby shop should be like Deja Thoris oh you mean like in the Edgar Rice Burroughs book I used to love those as a kid or something Somebody should be able to be like Deja Thoris oh yeah Or, or like Nicole could be like Oh I googled Deja Thoris do you, ever, do you like to read Edgar Rice Burroughs for some reason And he could be like huh oh, That's interesting but it's never brought up It's just he completely stole the name From Edgar Rice Burroughs And it's just in this movie For some reason for no reason, actually, is he trying to make it a pun on déjà vu. Trying to be like, oh, she's the, and it turns out she's the manifestation of his addiction that he never actually had because his alcohol. That's the thing. The actual Mark H- Hogan Camp suffered from alcoholism and was a was a mean drunk. Not a mean drunk. I think he was more of just like a a a sort of wild drunk. Like he just would, he would always be get, be getting drunk. And it wasn't until the assault that he kind of went through detox and eventually became, you know, uh, you know, became sober and he would, and he stopped drinking alcohol afterwards. He didn't really have any addictions after that. Like they tried to make it like, oh, we have to give him, we have to make a, not only a fictional addiction to painkillers, we have to then manifest that fictional addiction to painkillers in a doll form. What is this movie? What even is this movie? So yeah, it is so bananas to think about if you know the actual story that if this wasn't if it wasn't for second act was just completely wasted my time, this movie would be my pop kernel. In terms of misrepresenting a man's life story, this movie takes the cake. As for just a movie by itself, I I'd I'd say I'd I'd much rather turn you towards the documentary about the actual guy than this movie, but it's not like this movie it's, bad. it's the only this movie's only bad in how it treats its, its the inspiration for it. Otherwise it's just perfectly fine. I gave every part of my youth to do a job just about the trench here, over there. would be done and you just got on and did it oh, hey we managed to get through all the reviews in time it, yeah seven reviews normally this would lead into like some kind of uh super mega awesome movie review movie review madness but ma- we managed to get them all crunched in with uh reasonably uh so yeah uh, we will make this quick uh this is there isn't a lot to say about this but I ma- I caught a screening of Peter Jackson's newest movie as a director while Mortal engines was him producing. This is him actually putting his, I, I, I liken it to, uh, how, while at the same, while at the same time he was making, uh, Amistad, Steven Spielberg was also kind of technically, but not really making the lost world Jurassic park. Uh, while he was producing, um, uh, mortal engines, Peter Jackson's real uh, passion and effort was all put into this movie, They Shall Not Grow Old, which is a wonderful, like, I, I love everything about the concept behind this. What it is, is uh, Peter Jackson took hours, days, probably weeks even, uh, of archival footage from uh, of uh, World War One. Between the film footage from the BBC and interviews that the BBC and others, uh, I believe, I think it was mostly the BBC, but through, uh, I I believe, the official, like, museum that archived so much of this material. Did interviews with the veterans after the fact, like, during the 70s. And every voice you hear, besides the dubbing, was, like, all the narrated voices, they weren't some guy they hired. They weren't, like, they didn't hire Bill Nighy or um, uh, Colin Firth to narrate this. This documentary. It was all interviews taken from v- from World War One vets. I almost said v- Vietnam vets. that would be another good one too. Um, if you did this with Vietnam uh, or World War Two, any of the modern day war- uh, wars, uh, if you did this sort of thing where you cleaned up the footage, it, th- it made more sense for World War One because what you're doing is taking silent film footage that was really grainy and and kind of almost losing. It's 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 um. It's efficacy, like you couldn't see anything from it. And he's giving it, he's breathing into it new life by not only uh, cleaning up all of the footage so you could see it, but then adding to it the dubbing, the Foley work to make it, and the coloring to make it feel like it was just shot today. All the color, like aside from certain points, most of the coloring feels completely natural. Like you it was shot on a modern day digital camera or something. And... He, like Peter Jackson put so much effort and labor and thought into because that's the thing in the screening I saw they included a uh, behind the scenes look at it and Peter Jackson is a massive nerd for World War One he it turns out he and also um his co his, uh, his sort of a colleague Fran Walsh I believe also had they both had family members that fought in World War One. And Peter Jackson specifically had a grandfather that he uh, heard so many stories about how this man fought in World War One, how he was part of the New Zealand uh, force that that went into to to fight for the British Empire, and he became fat like one of like much like how uh, Spielberg his first uh, Super Eight movies were like trying to recreate certain stuff he saw in movies. For Peter Jackson, his first, a lot of his first super eights were recreations of World War One fight scenes. Cause he was just so enamored with this particular battle because he had this connection to it. And so not only does he have that, but he literally has like a a a, a battalion, like a, a, like a like a like one of the like one of these sort of armaments from the World War One that he just has in his possession. He just owns it. As well as like all sorts of official uh, uniforms from that time period. British uniforms, I believe New Zealand uniforms, all kinds of World War I era uniforms. He just has in his possession just because he is so just just passionate about preserving what is sadly the lesser of the two world wars? So much of World War Two got preserved because of advances in technology and people focusing so much on those particular stories and specifically the Holocaust and specifically the Nazi regime. And World War One goes almost completely forgotten because so much of World War Two take it takes over the narrative. And so while he and that's the thing in the behind the scenes. Jackson had even more footage that he could have done. He could have done the the women taking over factory jobs at home. He could have done the, the sort of buy war bonds efforts to to pay for the war. He could have done the stuff from the German side. He could have done so many aspects of World War I. And I almost want him to do a series. Take all of the stuff he did for this particular movie... And do a mini-series for the BBC or th- or for uh, the History Channel. Somebody make this a mini-series where he takes all this archival footage and does all the same work for it and has it so that people understand the, li- the lives that these people led. Because would, I would hate for all of that amazing footage and these amazing stories to go untold because he couldn't fit it into a single movie. I would love to him to do all oh, full length like six or maybe ten part mini series of just all of this knowledge that he's accumulated by digging through the archives and cleaning up all of their footage that would be amazing uh at the same point i will say this movie as much as i appreciate it i don't love it like it's not something i would go back to again and again and again but i admire just all of the passion and the love that Peter Jackson poured into this movie. And I highly recommend... It's going to have one more screening... uh, I believe after this comes out. I think Friday, maybe, the 28th. But if you get the chance to see this again... If you get get the chance to see this in theaters... Do so. It It is so worth it. And if you... Even if you just see it at home... If you have the means to see this movie... Please do so. This definitely would be in my other pick of the week. It just... There is nothing else quite like it, and I highly commend Peter Jackson for all the work he poured, poured into this into this project, and just all of how it all turned out so so well, and yeah, it just really it really is of a, a feat of 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 a, of some, how far somebody will work to bring to life this part of history and make it feel. Like it's like it's happening to you now, make it real, bring history to life. So yeah, uh, th- uh, they shall not grow. They shall they shall not grow old. Thanks to Peter Jackson and to all the hard work that people have done over the years to preserve this footage. Uh, anyway, uh, we're gonna take a quick break, and when we come back, we got something special for y'all. It's a holiday special because it's it's Christmas Eve. Not only while this comes out, but while I'm recording yay hello everyone and welcome i'm melody i'm max i'm dexter i'm diana and i'm john and together we host the book review and discussion podcast living in the stacks every two weeks we take the time to read a book and then meet online to discuss it we'll talk about what we liked what we didn't like and if we'd read the book again whatever the genre whoever the author whether it's good or bad we'll read anything once So if you want to join us, you can find us living in the stacks. Available through Gumby Cat Networks. It's the Popcorn Junkie Holiday Special. Featuring music by Ross Bugden. And guest starring... Nobody. Merry Chris Mahana Quadza Candlevis, and to all a good night. I initially planned to do this for Halloween as well. Uh, To tie into Halloween, for long-term listeners of the podcast, uh, I started off doing mainly the Halloween stuff. I did the Love Junkie for uh, last year's, or maybe it was this year's. God, I've lost such track of time. But I've done the Love Junkie, and I did this for Halloween, both uh, in 2016 and this year. And so I wanted to try and make sure that we got one out for... um, for the holidays for, for the for the December holidays as well. Uh, not just Christmas but you know all the varying end of the year holidays that are out there. Um and so specifically I decided to focus on the Christmas stuff just to start off with. And for this year I looked at the same thing same setup uh two movies that I two movies I've seen, two movies I haven't seen of those I've of, the, of those it, two of them are old, two of them are new. Old being Before the year 2000, new being the year 2000 and afterwards. So, uh, for the old one that I've seen before, uh, I did It's a Wonderful Life. And upon revisiting It's a Wonderful Life, it doesn't hold up as well as people think it does. Like, watching this as a modern day viewer, it, it doesn't really hold up. Like, this is one of my dad's favorite movies. Number one, because... Bailey's in the name. <laughs> the character's name is Bailey. so he kind of like considers this like almost like a distant cousin. <laughs> but uh, and, and it's not like this is a bad movie either, but I'm more I'm more I, I get kind of get the understanding of why audiences weren't keen on this movie when it first came out. It is super schmaltzy and like and like trying to pull on your heartstrings. Not only that, George Bailey's kind of a dick as a character. He just is a dick to everybody around him, but because he's a good person ultimately, they care more about him than they do Mr. Potter because at least Mr Potter, even though Mr Potter's an even bigger dick, he's also uh he he's also like a terrible person as well, whereas George Bailey treats everyone around him like crap, but he does come from a he still is a nice person ultimately he just he's just kind of an asshole um then, of co- But, like, there's so much of this movie that hasn't aged well between the mammy character that he has growing up that appears as comic relief throughout the movie. That's, like, the only black character in the whole movie. Oof. Um, then, of course, you get the whole bit of, like, oh, what happened to my wife, Mary? Uh, turns out she is in charge of the library, and she never... Despite the fact that she had plenty of, she literally had Sam Wainwright suiting, courting her at the time. How is it that, because George Bailey doesn't exist, that nobody, nobody cared about Mary enough to, like, date her or marry her or something like that? She becomes an unmarried librarian, complete with, she developed some lesser form, some form of... What did she get? What did the 40s did librarians just get handed out glasses because that's part of the uniform? At no point did Donna Reed need glasses, but apparently in the alternate universe, uh, Donna Reed got glasses when she uh got became a librarian because that's how things work, right? Not only that, but Pottersville becomes like this weird almost. 1920s version of debauchery and sin and it's like oh no my my, my beautiful small town it became a regular small town it became a regular city and it's got like people and things and jazz music and dance clubs and oh no this is terrible well this is just awful and it's like okay get over yourself you prick Seriously, I live in Akron, where there are parts of my parts of Akron are not as well off as other parts. But it's not like jazz music is the worst thing to happen. Like seriously, the idea that jazz music, like when it's when he visits the evil Potter'sville, it's like jazz music, and I'm like, okay, get over yourself. That's why I thought this movie was released ten years prior. This feels like a '30s era like scare tactic movie. Ugh. The fact that this came out after World War II is, is, is insane to me. I, it feels like a 30s movie. The fact that it came out 10 years late is like how they make movies that feel like they were made in 2010 and just now came out. Uh, um, but yeah, uh, at the same point, the final message is a good one. You shouldn't commit suicide. No man is a failure who has friends. That message is truly the 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 saving point of this movie everything else about this movie is kind of like if it weren't for that final message the idea that look you're not just because you don't have all the money in the world and you and all you've got you know you've got problems because of finances and whatnot your friends and family are there for you as long as you have the wealth of the people around you who care about you you're not a failure that is a good message it's super schmaltzy and it feels like the precursor to hallmark but it totally but it totally works still it works better than any other time they try to pull this off but yeah it's a wonderful life it doesn't hold up as well but the me- they still got the heart, and I'm not I'm, you know, I'm not going to completely write it off because of that. At least it's got that good message in, at the heart of it, even if everything else around... Like George Bailey himself, he's got a good heart. He's just kind of an asshole. Uh, for the old movie I've never seen before, Scrooged. I have never actually seen Scrooged before, so I watched it, and I love it. Like, that's the thing. It's kind of a hot mess. Like it feels like a, everyone was on coke while they were making this and it's like it's like hey, why don't we make a uh, like Christmas carol but it's about television? Oh my god. That's the greatest idea I've ever heard. Let's do it. Hey, Bill Murray, you want to know this? Sure, guys, let's do this thing. <laughs> like it feels like everybody is on this Coke Field Bender and they've somehow made a movie out of it. But I like it. It's it's actually like, uh, like even though Bill Murray isn't uh, isn't always hit, isn't always like bam, 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 hit after hit after hit, punchline after punchline. He's kind of over the top at a lot of points, but he is still funny. Like he still is able to bring this sort of character to life, and. Um, you know, the supporting cast around him is also great. Carol Kane as the ghost of Christmas present, as a fairy, who looks like she should be the ghost of Christmas pa- you know, past, but like the fact that she always just beats the crap out of him is hilarious. Uh, Bobcat Goldthwaite as the, as the disgruntled ex-employee who, uh, who comes back with a shotgun and is put, constantly being crapped on the whole movie after getting fired for standing up to him. Uh, Karen Allen has a love interest. Uh, the, I forget the woman's name, but the actress who played the, the this version of uh, this version of Bob Cratchit, the, uh, ex, the, uh, assistant with the, with the family, you know, with the, with the, with the, you know, big family and the kid with a disability who, um, you know, who kind of, who was able to kind of step in at the end and de- deliver the heartfelt message. Um, uh, so many other people, Buddy Buddy Hackett is in this as himself as Scrooge, uh, Lee Majors makes a cameo as himself in a fake Christmas movie, it's, if you look at the cast list for this, it's actually pretty solid for the most part, you know, a lot of a bit actors you don't recognize from and stuff, but then, you know, you get like, oh my god, like, Wendy Malick, who most people will probably remember from Just Shoot Me, is, is, um his sister-in-law and it's it really is just oh uh, it's it's such a wild movie and i love it i love it i don't love every second of it it's not going to be like a favorite of mine but it's one of those like uh it, this kind of sucks but i love it so much like i think my favorite bit is the reaction his first reaction to the ghost of christmas past where it's like uh, he, he checks under the robe and it's like the screaming, the, sc- the wailing of the damned within the guy's ribcage. And he's like, hmm, takes a second look and like, that's really good stuff. They're making a department do that. <laughs> just some of the reactions are so great from Bill Murray. And it, it really is just like a weird manic Copefield recreation of A Christmas Carol. And it works. So yeah, if you haven't seen Scrooge, I can't guarantee you you'll like it, but it's a hell of a ride, you know. I mean, like that's the other thing too. As a parody of like network television, specifically, and entertainment business as a ho- the entertainment business as a whole, yeah, it's still pretty it's still pretty pre- prevalent. Sadly, you can imagine so much of this being done with modern day networks or like some other you know some other movie studio or something. You know, this works. This actually manages to hold up fairly well, all things considered. Uh, going into the new stuff uh, I'm pushing the limits here Because I'm going back to the year 2000 For the one I'd seen before Mainly because I wanted to see Krampus I wanted to see Elf Or I wanted to see um, Arthur Christmas None of those three were available through streaming Unless I purchased them And I don't have that much you know Available funds for me at the time So I had to find something that was available to stream And thankfully I was able to find uh On Netflix Braun Howard, Tyler Grinch, Stole Christmas. Uh, And that's the thing. I was always of the mindset of, this movie's super ugly and completely misses the point. And then upon rewatch, this movie's got some points. Good points. It manages to stay fairly with it. Like, compared to the Illumination Grinch we just got, this is actually more in line with the Seuss classic than than Illuminations was. Like... It it cap like it the it adds a lot of ugliness and weird adult humor. Like there's a lot of jokes about how Kirsten Baranski is is slutty Lou Who who's got a thing for the Grinch and it's super weird and off-putting. And then it's like weird jokes about kissing a dog's butt, and that's like the joke. And it's just so weird. And it's awkward and ugly, and then but then in, in the midst of all that, it ca- it comments on the over-commercialization of Christmas. It makes the who's into, like, at first they're like, oh, they're so, it, it kind of ex- extrapolates the who's from being just simple little, like, Christmas-loving folk to people who are um, obsessed with Christmas, like, modern-day uh, suburbanites tend to be where it's like, oh, we gotta do the lights. Oh, we got, everything's gonna be amazing for Christmas because Christmas is amazing. Christmas, 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 Christmas. And the Grinch is just like, nah, nah, screw your Christmas. I'm taking it because you, you don't people, you people are not, na- you people are nasty, greedy little bastards. So who cares about your stupid Christmas? And it is until they lose everything that, that despite the, uh, the, uh, uh, corrupt mayor of Whoville, which is a thing weirdly. Um, besides him, uh, everyone else kind of realizes we didn't need that stuff. Who cares about the stuff we're here for Christmas? What let's let's just do a uh, let's just have Christmas with each other. That's what it's all about, and that's when they come to the that's when they say like it's a more it's simpler in the Dr. Seuss book because it's just the Grinch thinks it's all about the stuff. And it's, and he, and it's, and it doesn't until he takes the stuff that he realizes they don't care about the stuff. They just like being around each other at Christmas. This stuff is just a way of expressing it. And here it's like people coming to terms with the fact that, oh, it really isn't about the stuff. We just like each other. We just love each other in the holidays. And, uh, and then the Greens realizes that's, that is the meaning of the holiday, uh, I get it now And it, he kind of realizes it after the Who Start to realize it And it's a nice touch um, Of course Jim Carrey His one-liners are still Massively quotable to this day You know uh, his his voicemail I'll hunt you down and gut you like a fish um, uh, And of course it, The sad reality of it is As I get older I've come to realize I'm the Grinch you know, he's an introvert, he's, he's got all the qualities of an introvert, and he, like, hates having to go out go out and be around people, and he's very critical of them all. And it takes, like, somebody be- actually being nice to him to realize, you know, maybe people aren't so bad. But he's still kind of, you know, he's still a snarky little bastard about the whole thing. Uh, he really is the reason to see this movie. Um, Cindy Lou Who has uh, probably the best characterization the Seuss book is, v- is very slight. There isn't very much characterization besides the Grinch there, uh, and in the Illumination movie, she's just a carbon copy of the kid of the one of the do- of the daughters from uh, Despicable Me because Illumination is cheap as hell and doesn't give a damn. Uh, but for here, Cindy Lou Who is like this innocent girl who's, lo- who's trying to understand what Christmas is all about. She's kind of like Charlie Brown in a sense uh, because she's like what's christmas all about with all this commercialism and everyone's buying st- stuff mom's going crazy with the lights like is this really what christmas is all about and she's not into it and then she starts to kind of take kind of realize well, why if christmas is all about being together and everyone's like oh christmas is about being together with the ones we love and our family and the who's and that and that and, that. and she's like well then why is the grinch all by himself shouldn't we allow him in on this? And it's like she's the only one everyone else has kind of written off the grinch and she's the only one who's like, well no, why don't we just be nice to the guy? And it's a nice sort of addition to it that works off pretty well. Um yeah, I think the I think the only parts that haven't aged as well are the weird corrupt politician played by Jeffrey Tambor that's weird and off-putting. And of course the the all the ugliness and off-putting um adult humor that doesn't fit into this movie that makes it weirdly mature and almost uh, uh, unsuitable for some kids aside from that this movie actually holds up pretty well like way better than i thought it would so yeah uh this holiday season go watch the grinch again it's way better than the illumination one and uh it's it's actually a lot better than you might remember uh at least i found that and then and then um the newest one that i've never seen uh, what I did was love actually and love actually is one of the worst movies I have ever seen just in terms of filmmaking in terms of writing in terms of theming and and uh, messages everything about love actually is garbage now I've actually talked about this in one of my uh, Facebook groups uh, where, I, where I asked where I posed the question. Does anybody think love actually is that good? And everyone, and the nicest responses to it were, it's my problematic fave because they recognize it's garbage, but they still like it. I am not one of those people. I'm, the, I'm not saying you shouldn't like this movie. I'm not saying you're wrong for liking this movie. I just absolutely loathe every second of this. You know, hate, 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 loathe entirely. I would much rather watch The Grinch a million times over, and I don't even like that movie that much, but I would much rather watch even Illumination's The Grinch. Even a movie that's really stupid and misses the point entirely, I would much rather watch than Love Actually. Love Actually is this weird anthology movie where everyone's kind of oddly have tangential connections to each other to make it feel like it's all one cohesive universe. It's like it's like one of those weird things where they throw in a background character for they throw in a supporting character from one storyline into another as a background character in another character's storyline and it's like trying to make it feel like everyone's connected it's because it's the holidays and everyone loves each other love connects us all. <laughs> Like I said, I'm the Grinch. Uh, but yeah, like, Bill Nye, he look, Like, that's the thing. This was before music and lyrics, but Hugh Grant would have been a much better choice for, like, the aging rock star. Not as old as Bill Nye, but Bill Nye would have made the much better prime minister than freaking Hugh Grant. Hugh Grant doesn't look like a prime minister. Who would have liked him prime minister? He's, he's a befuddled uh, British man. Uh, and You can't take him all that seriously. Colin Firth would have made a better... Colin Firth would have made a better prime minister. Pretty much every other actor in this movie would have made the better prime minister than Hugh Grant. Hugh Grant would have made a... Have, Hugh Grant's a terrible person to cast as prime minister. Because he's Hugh freaking Grant. Bill Nye, he sucks as a singer. All There's like these weird tasteless fat jokes with this girl who's clearly not fat. Clearly not fat. There are actual women of much more... Uh, you know, we'll have much larger builds and you know, body types that are much more. That would, if you're gonna do fat jokes, at least have have an actress that you know, fits the joke. It's like here's a woman who just is average, and it's like oh, there's there's Miss Thunder Size. We all call her Tubby. Where, where is the fat? What? Cause you cause you poke her and it kind of it dents a little bit. Well, I'm sorry, she's not freaking Kate Moss. <sighs> Ugh. Yeah, and of course, apparently I completely missed it. But there's a whole bunch of transphobic jokes in this as well. Just every premise is so contrived and forced and un. It just and all the stuff is unhealthy. Like like the weird confession that Andrew Lincoln does to Keira Knightley while he while she is married to his best friend. Uh, it, it's uh, so stupid. And then like the, the weird i don't did, did the Alan Rickman plot line with Emma Thompson go anywhere? Did that amount to anything uh they they do the airport scene where they- where the love interest runs through the airport to tell the person they love he that they love them before they leave forever, supposedly yay, I love you, and it's like then they do that with a ten year old kid. They do that with a tent. Is this a parody? Is this a joke? I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. This this has to be a joke, right? They weren't making this seriously. They had they had to be like they they must have thought everyone would have been in on the joke because it's so terrible. But no, everyone takes this so seriously, and it's utter garbage. It's not only utter garbage; it's massively toxic. The idea that all of these things, all of these like the, like somebody pointed out in that post. The only non toxic depiction of love in this movie is Martin Freeman and Joanna Page, I believe uh, her name is, as the two body doubles for movies during sex scenes, where they're all naked during sex scenes. And it's just like two co workers having nice chats, and they decide to go out for drinks afterwards. And it's like the most wholesome least toxic depiction of love in this entire movie everything else is just a toxic nasty version of love it's so twisted and cloying and nasty and it's so awful everything about this is awful I'm sorry everything is awful every part of this movie totally sucks everything is awful god I hated this crap ugh just Awful, awful stuff. And of course, during the the middle of this movie, they completely steal entire scenes and footage from Titanic. They steal footage and show it like you're watching. Like all this, not just they're watching it on the screen in the background. No, they literally stop the movie to show you footage like it's a bad movie reviewer on YouTube who doesn't know how to get around the copyright infringement. This movie commits literal copyright infringement on Titanic! Except they probably pay for the rights to it. God, this movie is so bad. This is generally one of the worst movies I've ever had to sit through. And enjoy it all you want. Just, I can't. I can't with this. I really can't. At any rate, uh, lastly, we're going to tie back into Halloween with the second part of our Nightmare Before Christmas look uh where last time we looked at Nightmare Before Christmas as a Halloween movie and it's very fitting it opens as a Halloween movie and the horror elements are all there how does it fare as a Christmas movie well it actually does pretty well it manages to um to uh ca- capture the sort of warmth and good good feeling like that's the whole thing jack wants that those feelings of christmas in his life because that's what because he's so Tired of the horror. And the scares. And the gore. And he's just like. I want so- Who. But who cares. No big deal. I want more. Jack confirmed. Disney princess. Uh. Yeah. Um. It. It centers on the meaning of Christmas. Part of the plot is. Directly from Rudolph the red Nose Reindeer. It, it. It is more Halloween. Than Christmas. But as a Christmas movie. It actually. Holds up fairly well. Uh. Yeah, Nightmare Before Christmas, great as both a Halloween movie and a Christmas movie. It, it it's, it's more Halloween than Christmas, but if you want to watch a movie for both holidays, it's a great joining of the two. So yeah, uh, Nightmare Before Christmas. Uh, it's more of a Halloween movie, personally, from what I can tell. But as a Christmas movie, it's actually not that bad. It, it manages to capture a lot of the stuff that's in most Christmas movies. So it works for both. It's a perfect melding of the two. So yeah good job tim tim burton and henry Salik. you guys you guys did good all right that do, and that does it for our holiday special so as we wind things out let's go through our regular stuff first up the box office report and now the popcorn junkie checks in with this week's box office report Alright, as we look to the weekend box office report This one didn't include Christmas, the Christmas since it's on a Monday and a Tuesday this year So we're just dealing with 21st to the 23rd uh, We'll probably include the Christmas numbers in with next uh, weekend So, as we look to the numbers uh, Welcome to Marwin premiered at number 9 So it didn't even make the top 7 And dropping out of the top 7 are Bohemian Rhapsody, Mortal Engines, and Creed 2 Um uh, and then, as well as Ralph Breaks the Internet, that those all finally dropped out of the top seven. And premiering at number seven is Second Act, which brought in $6.4 million. Um, and then, combined with a little bit extra from it, from the foreign markets, it, it opened with $11 million. Which is just about a production budget. And it's low enough that I'm sure it'll make its money back, no problem. Even if it doesn't get all that much more. So, it's not a failure. Uh it's too it's not it's not expensive enough to be a failure uh so far so even if it goes Completely for but once again even if it makes its money back i doubt people will remember it at all Uh dropping down from number three to number six is dr seuss's the grinch from illumination which Brought in uh eight million dollars this weekend bringing its domestic gross up to 253 million And its worldwide gross so far up to 422 million dollars so great return on investment for them Can't go wrong with christmas Uh, Dropping down from number 2 to number 5 is The Mule which brought in $9.7 million Bringing its domestic total up to $35 million Sadly well short of its $50 million budget People just are not into this movie Maybe the foreign markets will pick it up at some point But so far it's not looking good for Eastwood's latest movie Sadly dropping out of the number 1 spot this week is Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse Which brought in $16.7 million Bringing it's domestic gross up to 64.8 Million dollars and oddly enough Doubling that in the foreign markets So it's worldwide gross so far is 129.6 million dollars uh, That's good for it It's already made back it's budget now it's got to Start making back that uh, marketing Money so good for Spider-Man It's it's good if you haven't yet that's The other one to go see this weekend Go see this, this season at any point If you haven't yet go see Spider-Man it's Good uh, and then the, the last Three are all premieres uh, number three is Bumblebee, premiering at twenty one point six million dollars, bringing it and combined with the foreign markets, its opening weekend gross is fifty two point seven million dollars, and, and with a production budget of one hundred and thirty five million dollars, it does not look good. But let's compare it to the other opening numbers. Uh, Bumblebee opened only opened in front of uh, the Transformers movie, sadly. Uh, yeah, it, it really. Uh, It really is It it premiered even behind the last night Which was the lowest opening weekend For a Transformers movie But yeah it's It it doesn't look good maybe it'll pick up Maybe it was just because it was up against Aquaman We'll see Aquaman and Mary Poppins Which number two is Mary Poppins Returns which brought in $22.2 million And combined with the foreign And so far uh, has made $31 million Domestically and combined with the foreign markets It's made $51 million which on a budget of 130 million dollars could could be okay. Uh, it just has to double that over the, and it doesn't look like there's going to be anything else to really compete with it. So I wouldn't be surprised if Aquaman and Mary Poppins and Bee kind of dominated the box office until even Janu- until midway through January, even. So yeah, uh, Mary Poppins uh, premiered okay. Um, I'm not sure how it will do in the long run though. That's where the big money's going to have to come in. And then premiering at number one this weekend, good for DC. It's Aquaman, which brought in seventy, which brought in uh, domestically over the weekend sixty seven point four million dollars. A little bit extra on the Christmas weekend. It looks like <gasps> mm. with seventy two point seven million dollars domestically so far, and a foreign market of four hundred and ten point seven million dollars. The foreign markets really came through for this one. Premiering opening opening its weekend at four hundred eighty three point four million dollars worldwide. That is great for it. Uh, let's take a look at the budget. I'm sure it's probably like what, 200 million dollars? It couldn't be more than 300 million. That's like Avengers two level budget, 160 to 200. It's already doubled. It's 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 already profitable. Aquaman is already printing money. That's how good it. Is. That's how much it's successful. It is right now. To I'm assuming mostly China. That's usually who the big pushers are for uh, the foreign markets. But uh, let's take a look at the foreign totals. Yep, China, $109 million. That's where the biggest part of it is. Uh, Brazil got seven. Uh, Mexico brought in eight. Netherlands, ten. Russia, seven. Ukraine, one. And United Kingdom, six. So uh, biggest pushers from China. But we've also got Brazil, Mexico, Russia, and the UK bringing in a bit. Netherlands especially brought in a bunch uh, with $10 million. I'm not sure why they're second next to China. That's weird. Uh, but yeah, it... It really it brought in a big chunk of money uh, this weekend people were digging this movie so it, it hey it's already successful so good for DC that's a win for them they made a decent movie and it's and it's really successful so we'll see if they can keep this up uh, I'm looking forward to Shazam coming soon so that, that was this weekend's box office report now that we've looking, looked back at the week that was let's take a look forward to the week ahead in trailer talk <music> Coming this summer. It's trailer talk. Read it all starts Friday. Our wide releases are actually going to be opening tomorrow after this episode uh, on Christmas Day. So I won't, I'll have to see them sometime during the week. And then probably pad out the rest of the weekend with a bunch of stuff on Netflix. I know I didn't want to see Roma and the Watership Down miniseries. There's a bunch of stuff I want to check out on Netflix. So expect more Netflix and chat uh, for next week's episode. But for right now, let's take a look at the new releases with, first up, Holmes and Watson from Sony Pictures. The latest from Will Ferrell and John C. Riley. Your Majesty, may I present to you... The greatest detective of all time, Sherlock Holmes. And Dr. John Watson. I love you. Mm. Watson? Oh! Whew. What a looker, right? She is sad. <sighs> <sighs> legendary pair from Step Brothers and Nights*. Sherlock returns. returns. His methods are ingenious. Right. There. He's a master of disguise. What have you done with Sherlock? Why Watson? Mm. I never left. Oh, amazing! Wow, his is mind him. is brilliant. Angle of approach, compensate for warping floor. Termination of the Well done, Holmes. Uh. Oh my God! Watson, stop editing. Yeah, from Columbia Pictures. Murder in Buckingham Palace. Solve this case in four days, or I will kill the Queen. Oh. Signed Professor James Moyart. Rape finds. Huh, that's we a, that's a weird cat. Yeah, no shit,
1: Sherlock. <laughs> <laughs> get it, get it. it, 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 it it's, it's, it's the thing that people say.
0: A woman doctor? Impossible. Fortunately, we have a real doctor. Yeah? Would you like some heroin? Get it? Because doctors in the old days were that or did that. Oh, it looks like Steve After Coogan's in this. Days it. left to live. To solve this case, Your Majesty. Would you mind if we had a picture together? what's What? Who's going to take the photograph? I will take it. You see? Get it? It's a, a selfie. It's a, a selfie. I swear, I Get, it? Get it? Get it? Are we cool, kids? He's doing gang signs. Oh. Over by the window, the lighting's much better. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh. Mother of shit. Uh, Rebecca Hall, yeah, she's gonna be uh, Mary Hart, uh, who is Holmes's love interest from the books, I believe. Uh, or where's where's she Watson? Something. Anyway, uh, just mm, mm, I'm I'm kind of over the two of them. Like uh, uh, if this is, it feels like this should have been made ten years ago, and they just now got around to it. Uh, it really, I don't know, I, I feel like I, I we can do better in, far, in terms of comedy than this. This kind of, this feels like very, like really trying too hard sort of comedy. Uh, and then last up, we, uh, we've got Vice, the biopic about Vice President Dick Cheney. Let's take a look. God, Sam Rockwell's just nailing the mannerisms of Bush. I want you to be my VP. I want you. Kind of looks price. like him too. Well, George, like really I, uh, skinny George. <laughs> I'm the CEO of a large company. Hell, uh, Christian, Christian Bale put on a Secretary whole bunch Defense, of weight and looks exactly like Dick Cheney I have too. Been White House chief of staff. The vice presidency is a mostly symbolic job. Uh-huh. However, if we came to a uh, different. Understanding, I can handle the more mundane jobs, overseeing bureaucracy, military, energy, and uh, foreign policy. Yeah, right. I like that. From Adam McKay. I got a plan. I know the, direction. the co-writer and director of The Big Shot. The Big Short. When you have power, people will always try to take it from you, always. Oh, it looks like they're going to be including the part where he shoots his buddy in the face. Discover the untold true story <sighs> that changed the course of history forever. Christian Bale is Dick Cheney. Amy Adams is Lynn Cheney. Steve Carell is Donald Rumsfeld. And Sam Rockwell is George W. Bush. So we're going to do this thing or what? Is mean, is this happening? I believe we can make this work. <laughs> Hot damn. Wow. I'm going to see if I can't watch a W. and compare the two. Ooh, Alison Pell's going to be in this nice. Yeah. Um, Adam McKay is actually, as far I mainly know him for comedy, but he's actually doing pretty decent biopics from what I remember. I heard good things about the big short. But yeah, this will be interesting to see how it plays out, and and if he because I mean the actual story of Vice President Dick Cheney is bananas. Like that is that is a that is a true story to behold. It is it is it is nuts. So so if he even gets a fraction of it true, it's it, you know, of the true story in the movie. It's going to be crazy. So yeah, that'll be that'll be coming up this coming weekend. That about does it for this week's episode, which means it is time for the plugs. If you're listening to this podcast, you're most likely listening to us through our homepage at GumbyCatNetworks.com. And if you'd like to keep up to date on all the new episodes as they come out, be sure to favorite the page in your brow- web browser, whitelist us in your ad blockers. And be sure to check out all of our other fine programming. Uh, we should be having a new episode of Living in the Stacks coming out next month. Uh, we're going to be talking about the uh, When the Emperor Was Divine. By Julia Otsuka, so keep it keep an eye out for that. Uh, we've all but be sure to also check out all of our good stuff from Donna over at StarCast. where she does Beyond the Cabin in the Woods, once more with feeling, the family business. Um, I believe Vanessa's still doing her uh, Odd Vegas podcast about working in the Las Vegas Oddities shop. All that great stuff, and if you yourself are a podcaster and would like to join us, be sure to let us know through our email address at Gumby cat, ne- cat networks at gmail.com. And if you want to join, and that, and we'll see, we'll take a listen and see if you're and see if we can welcome you into our nice little podcast family. Uh, if otherwise, if you are listening to us on the go, you can always check us out through your various podcast providers. Uh, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Spreaker, iHeartMedia, Stitcher. Uh, I'm trying to get us onto Podbean, but that's going to take a little bit more of an investment. I'm going to see if I can't turn that into another Patreon-style uh, donation aspect, too. But uh, stay tuned for that, and then you know, be sure to subscribe to the RSS feed, wherever you find it, and then leave a five-star rating and review and let people know that you like the show and that they should check it out, too. Um, you can also be sure to check us out Share us on your social media. Uh, I'm on Facebook.com at uh, Facebook.com slash popcorn junkie on uh, Twitter at corn junkie pod. I did too much alongs for the holiday marathon I did last night because I just crammed all four in in a marathon session. Uh, so if you want to hear my thoughts on at least uh, it's a wonderful life and Scrooge, you can check those out on Twitter at corn junkie pod and follow the hashtag munchalong. Uh, and otherwise, you can check me out there for trailer talk segments and uh, and see how I interact with various other movie reviewers, uh, film personalities. I like to keep I like to keep eyes on everything that's going on in entertainment and film. So uh, be sure to follow me there. I'm not as active on Instagram, sadly. I I have Popcorn Junkie on Instagram.com, and I always post uh, when I'm seeing a new release and when new episodes come out. I'm still trying to figure out what it is I can do to get more stuff on Instagram, but I'm not sure. Uh, and if you yourself have some sh- suggestions, you can send them to the email, but I'm on Instagram at popcorn junkie podcast and I'm on Stardust. If you want to share your reactions and see how people are reacting to movies, be it in theaters at home, uh, various episodes of television shows, trailers, uh, you can check us out on, you can check out Stardust. It's like a great, everybody posts a 32nd reaction to something, be it a trailer, a movie, an episode of TV, an entire series, if they choose. So, uh, and, of course, we've got personalities like the guys in Double Toasted always do it. You've got uh, Mars Girl has been posting a bit more regularly. Uh, you've got the king of Stardust, as I call him. The internet's other John Bailey. The epic voice guy, as he is known. Uh, the voice of Honest Trailers and various other... Uh, voice acting enterprises he is the king of stardust i have yet to see another person on stardust master the platform as much as he does has he does character impersonations he does very he puts real like effects work into his reviews because you can do that too you can record as via via like the self camera or you can also include upload footage a 30 second video where you can do more effects work to it so if you want to Check out him there he 's epic voice guy on Stardust, and you can also follow me i 'm on there too as Popcorn junkie, and then you can also leave your own uh reviews and reactions, or you can check out all what other people are saying see if you, there's other people with their own podcasts with their own YouTube channels with their own or just film fans who just love talking about movies we're all having a lot of fun on Stardust. You should come join us and if there's anything else you want to say to me, any kind of feedback you want to give corrections to something I misspoke, to where I misspoke, any kind of um if if you wanna share your thoughts on the movies I talked about, did you hate Aquaman? Or did you like a second act? Did you uh do you have do you do you, do you disagree with my opinion on love actually? Or uh do you did you hate uh screwed and you think I was I'm off base on that? Send all of that to popcorn junkie podcast at gmail.com and leave either in the subject or in the message that you would love that you want this that read on the episode because otherwise i will only paraphrase i if you i will not i will not directly quote you and name you unless you would give me explicit permission i i would much rather be i would much rather cover my bases with that but otherwise send out all that to pocket chucky podcast at com, and i'll be sure to get back to you and relay your message to the other listeners so with that said That does it for this week's episode. Until next time, I'm John Bailey, and I hope your holidays are just the happiest. And here's to the almost end of 2018. The theme song for Popcorn Junkie is Funky Popcorn by the M. Look up Funky Popcorn by the letter M on SoundCloud for more of their music. Artwork provided by Nafio. N-A-F-Y-O. Look up Nafio.DeviandArts.com for more of his artwork. Music provided for the uh, Christmas bumper by Ross Bugden. Look up Ross Bugden music on YouTube for more of his music. Not to really, partially to consult, but mainly to reunite her and her daughter. Mind the popper. Yeah, I guess like like I said, I was house sitting out to see how far back uh, that noise goes. But popper, popper was thirsty. The reason for this movie getting made. um, What what in the hell? I'm getting all these. Let me turn off notifications because I keep getting all these weird beeps and boops in my ear. Hold on. and uh hold on my battery is about to die shoot i thought i couldn't make it hold on and then premiering at number one uh which is good for uh dc <sighs> sorry there's a pupper coffin so much stuff to cut out of this episode